uh, I want to present my uh, buddy, my friend, uh, uh, one of my mentors, uh, and uh, Frank and his wife Ruth is here, and the son are here with us. Uh, Frank is no stranger to us. Uh, he's very supportive to this ministry. Uh, he's been with us with, for years. Uh, he was uh, one of, uh, during, uh, some of you might not know this, but uh, we used to, we were one of the churches that originated the March for Jesus here in, the, in Dover. And for, uh, uh, for many years, we did the March for Jesus. And Frank was one of the uh, main speakers at uh, our event, and uh, he just brought the house down. And so we have him here every year so that he can uh, let us know what's going on in the world and what, is, and what God is uh, uh, telling him so he can tell us. Amen? So let's receive Frank. Uh, let's uh, uh, get ready for a word. Hey. Man. Just for a second, can my wife Ruth and Andrew just stand up and greet the crowd? Yeah. Just stand up. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah, my wife looks like you. She's from El Salvador, amen. Uh, I'm so proud of our son Andrew. And man, that dance team was phenomenal. Can we give the young people a loud round of applause? Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And uh, the sweet soloist that just sang, she moved me to tears. We shall behold them. It broke me. I've been in the room with seven United States presidents. That's little leagues. I've been on Air Force One, flown on Air Force Two, got an award at the United Nations. That's little league compared to him. I got excited. I was five feet from Elvis Presley at five years old. I spent the weekend with Sylvester Stallone in Los Angeles at 13 years old. I'm flying to Vegas next week to pray in the corner with the former heavyweight boxing champ's son. Seven billion people in the world. They called one person to ask to pray with them before he fights the biggest fight of his life in Vegas. And they've asked me to come pray in Vegas. I've been with some people, but hold on, hold on, hold on. I've been with some people. But my God, when we see Jesus and we shall behold him, there's nothing like Jesus. There's nothing like Jesus. Oh, man. I worked in four White Houses. They said, why did you leave the White House? I said, presidents come and go, but the king is on his way. I'm telling you, Jesus is where it's at. I met Biden 25 years ago. I went to Biden's son's funeral. I was ministering to the vice president at the time. Joe Biden from Delaware, his life was wrecked. It's American flag casket. And I said, Mr. Vice President, it's good to see you. It's been a while. He said, what are you doing now? I said, sir, I'm on staff with Billy Graham and I'm an evangelist. And he grabbed me and as God is my witness, he said three times, he said, please, please, please pray for my family. And then I hugged Dr. Jill Biden and then I met Bo's widow and then I met Hunter Biden. And here's the catch. Walking out, there's a bunch of reporters. And they said, you came from a good distance. I said, yeah, I came from Maryland. They said, are you a Republican or a Democrat? I said, man, I'm a born-again Christian and I'm an American. And they said, they said, why would you come here today? And I said, I wanted the vice president to know that he wasn't alone when the bottom fell out. And I said, I come here to tell him that God loved him even when he's at the lowest point of his life. And guys, I just want to share this in love. 
that if you only hang out with folks who look like you and talk like you and vote like you, you don't look like Jesus. Paul was all things to all men to win some, and I wanted way more than one political party at my funeral. I want to let people know that God loves them. You know, God called us to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. A thermostat can actually change the temperature in the room. The temperature is just told by the thermometer what the room temperature is. My dad protected eight U.S. presidents, would have died for every one of them, four he didn't vote for, and he never told us who they were. But here's the catch. If my dad was willing to die for them, how come some of us can't even say hi or pray for them? Are you with me? Now, here's the thing. When I hear people say, well, you were invited to the White House and you didn't go, Martin Luther King Jr. said, quote, and I just had lunch with his niece, Dr. Alveda King, in Atlanta, just us at a table together. And she said, Martin said, quote, if you're invited to the White House and you don't go, you just failed. Because you cannot have a dialogue at the table if you're not in the room. And then she said, quote, if you're invited to the White House and you don't eat, if you're not at the table, you will be on the menu and they will eat you alive when you're not looking. And then she said, when you didn't show up and you say, that's not my boy, I didn't vote for so-and-so, that ain't my cup of tea, you just failed to represent God in the most powerful place in the world. Because had you showed up, instead of being cocky and afar, you walk in Christ, you can change the atmosphere when you walk like Jesus. Amen? So guys, I just came to tell you, first of all, the reason the tomb is empty is that your heart could be full. But if that tomb was full today, you would still be empty inside. My wife and son, we were just there three months before the COVID. We were there in Jerusalem. And the borrowed tomb of Jesus is the only tourist attraction in the world where folks come from miles around to stand in line and look at absolutely nothing. They've asked, was Jesus a man or was he God? He was fully man. He was fully God. If you put God in a blender, whoa, what poured out was Jesus the Christ. If he wasn't a man, who was that babe born in Bethlehem's barn? But if he wasn't God, why did 10,000 angels sing at his birth? If he wasn't a man, who was that had hungered in the wilderness? But if he wasn't God, who fed 5,000 with a little lad's lunch? If he wasn't a man, who was that on the cross that cried, I thirst? But if he wasn't God, who told the woman at the well, drink from me, you'll never thirst again. If he wasn't a man, who was that it stood before Pontius Pilate? But if he wasn't God, why did Pontius Pilate, Muhammad, and Buddha, and Confucius one day going to kneel before him? See, the first time Jesus came, he came as a kid. The next time he comes, he's coming as the king of all kings. I wonder not. I come to sow into you today. If you don't have the money, grab a copy. If you have the money and you feel like you want to bless, that's praise the Lord. But here's the summary of this book. I'm just going to tell you this. I was going to go with three things in my life. I was going to go into politics, preach, or protect the president. My family's protected the last 26 of 29 U.S. presidents. I was born on Capitol Hill. I was born President's Day weekend. Our son was born the hour Obama became president. Andrew was born Inauguration Day, January 20, 2009. As Obama came in, that kid came out. Can I get an amen? He's my historical baby. 
I'm President's Day. He's Inauguration Day. My mother was born 4th of July. If you cut our veins, they bleed red, white, and blue. But guys, I love America, but I love heaven a lot more. And God's coming really, really soon. And red, yellow, black, and white, we're all precious in his sight. And guys, I just want to share this. So my ancestor was with Abraham Lincoln the night he died. In the middle of the Civil War, Mary Todd Lincoln put my ancestor in the White House. And true story, Abraham Lincoln, every time he hired an African-American, stick with me, not as a slave, not as a servant, as a staff member, respect. And every time he walked by this African-American, the six foot four commander in chief, all in black, not Johnny Cash, I'm talking Abraham Lincoln, with a stovetop hat, the one he gave dignity to and put him in the White House, not Walmart, the White House. And President Lincoln, every time he would look at him, would tip his hat and say, see you later. Whether they were going to a state dinner or going to a play or going to Congress, he saw them hundreds of times in a couple short years. And every time he saw them, he would tip his hat and say, see you later. True story, the night they went to Ford's Theater, which was Good Friday, Ford's April 6th, 1865. It was just two nights ago was the anniversary. And every time Lincoln walked by him, he said, see you later. But the night they went to Ford's Theater, it was my ancestor, Joseph Shelton, over Lincoln's shoulder. And as they walked to Ford's Theater, the African-American said in his obituary that when the president walked by me that night, he tipped his hat and he said, goodbye. The greats know what time it is. The greats know when their time is up. And I'm convinced Lincoln knew his days weren't numbered. His hours were numbered. True story, Abraham Lincoln died on Good Friday. The Lord died on Good Friday. Lincoln freed the shackled slaves and the Lord freed us who was enslaved to sin. Lincoln represented the government, but the Lord is God himself. And I'm telling you, Lincoln is one thing, but the Lord is everything. But my ancestor, the night he was shot, You've heard of the expression, his name is Mud. It was Samuel Mud who took the Hippocratic Oath and when John Wilkes Booth shot the most powerful person on the planet in the back of the head and the city of my birth. I was almost born in the halls of Congress. My mother worked for the U.S. Capitol. My dad worked for the U.S. Capitol. Mom went into labor. She said, you were almost born in the Capitol. Some of you come to visit. I was born to work there. Can I get an amen? But true story, it was the night, it was a Shelton was one of the first to respond. And it was my ancestor who hand carried Abraham Lincoln across the street the night he died. He held greatness in his hands. It was my ancestor on my mother's side in 1912, worked 40 years for the U.S. Park Service. It's all in the book. The crazy thing is he did four decades. He put in his retirement papers. The year was 1912. We're now six generations from Capitol Hill. He said, guys, I'm done. They said, we just got a goodwill gift from Okinawa. We need you to stick around and plant one more plant. He said, guys, I'm done. It's all in his obituary. They said, you are the chief foreman. You're the best of the best. We need you for one more thing. True story, it was the coldest winter in Washington record that year. And I don't know what was worse, the cold climate of the capital city or the chillings complaint of a colleague's. Someone said, hey, dude, you know, it's no big deal. It's just a gift from Japan. Who's going to know if we don't stick with the stuff? And he began to plant these seedlings. 
Took them two years. They went around the tidal basin. He hand-planted the world-famous cherry blossoms that a million people come every April. My ancestor on my mother's side planted the world-famous cherry blossoms. The ancestor on my father's side hand-carried arguably the greatest president of all time. One carried greatness to life. The other one carried greatness to death. One was a plant. One was a president. But they both held greatness in their hands. All of you carry greatness. If you're a born-again kid of the king, the, you're royalty. This is going to rock people. I don't normally say this, but see, we six generations in Washington, but my family, Shelton, when my friends, my roommate was from Kenya and Africa, I preached three years in a row to 120,000 at Nelson Mandela Soccer Stadium. And my roommate in college was on the Olympic team in Kenya. And we were together so much, they called us Ebony and Ivory. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we were the Oreos, black and white. But the interesting thing is when I heard my African friends say, well, I went to Africa and I felt like I'd been there before because that's where the roots are. My ancestor is from England is where the Sheltons come. And the one group actually is from Nottingham where Robin Hood is from and they were policemen. It's in the family. We go back 160 years. That's just in D.C. Then you go back to London and true story was Anne Boleyn Shelton was the Queen of England. It was a Shelton who was married to King Henry VIII. He married her, divorced her, and then beheaded her. No wonder I got people after my head. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but here's the thing. We're not just linked to royalty because of an earthly president in America or the Queen of England. More importantly, we are kids of the Most High God. Yes. And if you're saved, raise your right hand because your royalty is in your blood. And guys, here's what I want you to see real quick. My parents took me to see Elvis Presley twice at age five in 1977. I got five feet from Elvis. I was wearing an Elvis jumpsuit and in the middle of the concert, my parents took me up and put him up towards the stage. It was at the Capitol Center where the Washington Bullets, now Wizards, used to play. And Elvis was going right to him and he grabbed the kid next to me and pulled up this kid on stage who wasn't wearing a jumpsuit and the kid froze. He didn't know a single song of Elvis. I was an Elvis impersonator at five years old. <laughs> Bruno Mars had something in common with me. He was an Elvis impersonator. He makes a little bit more money, but we had something in common. Are you with me? Had he brought me up, I would have brought the house down in front of 17,000. This kid was a deer in the headlights. But what we found out, he was the grandson of a Poland who owned the entire Washington Bullets Capitals. So when you own the place, you pick the kid. Are you with me? But here's the thing. My dad's friend for seven years was a bodyguard to Elvis. And the night Elvis died, Vernon Presley, Elvis's father, asked him to carry the casket as a pallbearer at Elvis Presley's funeral. My ancestor carried the king of a nation. My dad's friend carried the king of rock and roll. And about 11 years ago at the Staples Center in L.A., where the Lakers are from, where Kobe and LeBron has dominated the Jackson Four carried a 24-karat gold casket, and they came in with white sequin glove, and at that moment, the Jackson Four remaining did not carry the king of a nation. They didn't carry the king of rock and roll. Disc jockeys tell me they carried the king of pop, and when I say MJ, I'm not talking Jordan. I'm talking Jackson. 
But the reason I love Joseph of Arimathea, because at the foot of the cross church that day, men think they're big, they're bad, they're bold, built like Stallone and Schwarzenegger. But on that first, with the Good Friday, men were nowhere to be found because they were yellow. They knew if Pontius and Pilate was in a bad mood, they may throw them up on the cross for identifying with Christ. But I came to twofold conclusion. If Jesus died for me, I was going to live for him. And if it meant me dying on the cross, count me in. Because the fact is, people think, oh, serving Jesus is a crutch. Y'all are a bunch of weaklings. I'm telling you, it takes a man and a woman to live for Jesus in 22. But at the foot of the cross was women, and they were doing two things, and they started with a W. They were weeping and worshiping. And then I find out it was Mary who was the first to carry the gospel. For nine months pregnant with Jesus, she was carrying the gospel. And then we find at Jesus' tomb, it's a woman who was first at the gospel. There's theologians today. Well, you know, they're not supposed to be in the ministry if you're a lady. Hello, they've never not been in the ministry. And I say this in love, if more men stood up, a lot of women wouldn't have to speak up. God gave me a word. I was booked in 10 countries in 2020. I was on my way to preach to 150,000 Muslims in Pakistan. The Taliban was going to be on the rooftop, and they said, you can come, but you won't come home. My wife, true story, cried for two weeks. She knew something was wrong. She knew I may not come back. I preached all over the world, but on this one, she didn't want me to go. My board didn't even know I was flying by myself to Pakistan. I was preaching 12 miles from where they killed Osama bin Laden. And God gave me a word. If you didn't have a backbone in the pandemic, you don't deserve a microphone now. Aren't you thankful that your pastor stuck with the stuff, didn't shut down the church, and been bragging on Jesus? Give him a round of applause. Amen. So I want to share and paint a picture real quick. And I got 18 minutes. So if I can quote what Elizabeth Taylor told her seventh husband... I love you, but I won't keep you long. Amen. <laughs> John chapter 20. Look to your neighbor and say, he ain't right. <laughs> Amen. I may not be invited back, but that's good preaching. Amen. <laughs> First of all, your pastors took Ruth and I and my son to dinner last night. It was the nicest food I've had in a long time. When my wife's not cooking, I had to get out of that one, amen? <laughs> no, what I mean is when it's home, it's great. But if she's not cooking, it's like potluck on the road. I mean, every night for me is the last supper because you never know this may be the last meal. But my wife is amazing. But they took us to eat. But man, it was great. And I'm so thankful they paid for it because I'd still be washing dishes. Are you with me? But I love to eat. Let me just share this message with you. I preached on Good Friday here. And uh, when you leave that tomb of Jerusalem, there is a Bible verse when we walked out of there. They'll tell you it's true. It's Luke 24, verse 5 and 6. It simply says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. I've been told there's 4,200 religions in the world but there's only one tomb that's still empty. 
If you go to the tomb where they laid the remains of Muhammad, I'd get you a shovel and I'd dig for a while. And true story, I'd find the bones of Muhammad. If you and I went to the tomb where they laid the remains of Confucius, we'd do some digging. I'd find the remains of Confucius. If you and I went to the tomb where they laid the remains of Buddha, we'd do some digging. I'd find the remains of Buddha. If you and I went to the tomb where they laid the remains of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, we'd do some digging, but we'd find the remains of Joseph Smith. If you and I went to the tomb where they laid Mother Teresa, we'd do some digging, and we'd find the remains of Mother Teresa. We would find the remains of Pope John Paul II. We'd find the remains of Billy Graham. But I want to tell you, you go to the tomb of Jesus, it's the only tourist attraction that is empty. Give God some Delaware praise. So on Friday, I talked to you about the cross. Say cross. But today, I want to talk to you about the tomb. Say tomb. See, God used a virgin womb and a virgin tomb to make room for you. Amen? He used a womb, a tomb, to make some room. If you're watching by Zoom, there's room for you. Amen? What was Volkswagen? Vroom, vroom? Is that what? <laughs> That's right, from 1995. Receive a free 48-piece set of Ginzu knives, but wait, there's more. One of our first 5,000 callers receive a free cubic zirconia pendant set. A life-size poster, pastor, where each member of your household can measure with them. Silvery Records probably presents... Kumo D's greatest at Cell Peak is that seat in A-Track, limited time only. Sorry, not sold in stores. Well, Bob, tell them what they could have won an all-expense-paid trip to Cancun, Mexico. Hey, look, it's me, Rocky Balboa. You know, you got a big mouth. <laughs> My name is Billy Graham. Star was... <laughs> Obi-Wan the statue. You're the master, Luke. Help you right in the force. Hey, Willie, it's me, Alf. Where's the cat? Before you get up for that final snack, I'm here to tell you Christ is coming back. Ha! But no problem. I trusted Christ. And I'm on my... This is Billy Graham. And just the other day, a woman came into my office and said she was discouraged, depressed, and thought of death daily. I showed her the scriptures how Christ climbed Calvary's cross for her. Today you may be watching by way of monitor. I'll send you some free literature, right, Billy Graham? That's all the address you'll need. Perhaps you're in Canada, P.O. Box 844, Winnipeg, Manitoba. And some of you in the balcony. You may be in a hotel. You may be in a bar. It will take two to three minutes. Believe me, the buses will wait. You come forward as you give your heart to Christ. Give God a round of applause. Amen. Father, we need you, and I pray now that I would resemble the magician. It's time to disappear, and your Holy Spirit is here. We welcome you, Jesus. Amen. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 20, verse 7. I talked about the crucifixion Friday. I'm going to talk to about the resurrection now. And you have a chance to receive salvation. The word of the day is, you may not believe in God, but God believes in you. Amen. Point number two, hell is too long to be wrong. Do you know there's not a single an atheist in hell? What? No, they may have split the fire unbelieving. But one nanosecond in hell, they're all believers. It's just too late. There's people in hell today that would give anything in the world to sit one last second where you do today in an air-conditioned environment in America despite being 
tossed and torn, you got one last chance to get right before you get left out. And I got good news. You may not have had a lot of friends in high school. Maybe you had someone break your heart. But I'm not talking the high school quarterback. I'm not talking the homecoming queen. I'm not talking an NFL quarterback. Someone with deep pockets, a star with millions of followers. The world may have not have picked you, but God is dying to hang out with you. He's dying to hang out with you. There's a movie called 16 Candles in the 80s with Molly Wingwald. And high school was a turbulent time and everyone's trying to fit in. This girl was forever the bridesmaid. And at the end of the movie, she forgot. She's at her sister's wedding. She goes back to the church and everyone laughed. And she's always the butt of every joke and never always with attention on her. And this guy pulls up in a red 944 Porsche, a handsome hunk. And she comes out of the church and he's looking at her and he's talking to her. And he's the most popular guy in the region. And she surely thinks she's like, there's someone behind him. And he's like, no, you. I want to be with you. And the music plays and she gets in that Porsche and they go happily ever after. But I'm not talking a handsome hunk. I'm talking heaven himself is picking you this Easter morning. He's picking you. I'm not dropping names. One time I get a call from the White House operator. If you dial today 202-456-1414, you don't get Waffle House. You don't get Walmart. You get the West Wing of the White House. I was on a call one time. The White House press secretary said, quote, can you hold for the president of the United States? It was Barack Obama. What was I supposed to say? Man, I'm on my way to the dentist's office. Can he, like, call me right back? It doesn't work like that. And what you do to one side, someone may get offended. I'm on the phone. Can you hold the phone for President Trump? Oh, you lost me there. <laughs> I said it. But if you only hang out with folks who look like you and vote like you, you may not look like Jesus. If God saved you, your worst enemy needs Jesus. And the moment we stop like stiff-arming people, well, everybody but that crowd, then maybe you don't know God. I believe the reason he had one hand to the left and one hand to the right, because his dying act, he was trying to hug everybody who would still come. Don't keep them nailed to the cross when you think the gospel only works for some people around the world. I've spent my life getting people to heaven. You watch Budweiser, you think it's beaches and babes and bikinis and beer. But once you meet the king of kings, you don't need the king of beers. Can I get an amen? amen. And watch this. The biggest party of all time ain't hell. That's a lie from straight to hell. The biggest party of all time ain't even on earth. The biggest party of all time will be heaven. And I'm just pointing people to heaven because hell's too long to be wrong. John chapter 20, verse 7, the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene early in the morning, and it was still dark, and came to the sepulcher of the tomb, and they saw that the stone was rolled away. First of all, Jesus loved rock and roll. He's the rock, and it was rolled away. Can I get an amen? He liked the rolling stones. And number three, the reason the angel had to move the stone away was not because Jesus, who was dead, was too weak to come out. You and I, who were alive, stuck in religion and thinking our good works would cut it, would have been too weak to work our way in. 
There was a song, Motown, came out years ago. I've been working my way back to you, babe. And you know what? Religion is falsely thinking, I got to climb a ladder and work my way to God. And Christianity, God worked his way to you. See, if you're trying to get into heaven by your merits, you're going to go to hell. You don't get in by your merits, you get in by his mercy. It's not about you being good, it's about you getting right with God. And it's not about being perfect, it's finally realizing you're messed up and you need the one who's perfect. Because if you're trying to earn your way to heaven, you're getting a paycheck straight to hell. Some of us are trying to rely on our grandmother's prayers or our mom's coattails or my great-grandfather was a preacher. You need to know him. Jesus ain't just a professional savior. He's a personal savior. But heaven is a prayer away. Verse 2, Luke 20, and then Mary ran to the tomb. First of all, I've been a chaplain at the last three Olympics, 2012 in London, 2016 in Rio, 2020. I was on my way to Tokyo and COVID threw a curveball. The guys got pictures with Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. I was with Tony Parker. It used to be married to Eva Longoria. He played for the Spurs, but in the Olympics, he was with Team France. That's just the basketball team. The guys met Coach K, but we ministered to 20 nations. And do you know what? At one Olympics, we saw 1,054 people get saved. My roommate was a former USA gold medalist. Gold is temporal. God is eternal. But you know, they were running. Look at me. Do you know the only thing? I told Carl Lewis, nine-time gold medalist. I said, Carl, the only thing I could beat you. He said, what's that? I said, the buffet to Golden Corral. Can I get an amen? <laughs> He's amazing. But people need Jesus. Christianity ain't a sprint. It's a marathon. The Bible says you were running well. Who hindered you? So John chapter 20, verse 2, And she ran and came to Simon Peter and the disciple, and the one Jesus loved said, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We know not where they placed him. Peter therefore went forth to the other disciple and came to the tomb, and they ran, but they ran together. Who are you running with? Who you hang out with is going to determine if you make it or not. You know, when you do good, praise God. When you go through bad, pray to God. But stick together in the storm. And when he gives you a blessing, don't get cocky. Give him the glory. And when he elevates you, it's not for you to look at me. It's to say, look at him. He did it. To whom much is given, much is required. So they ran together. The other disciple outran Peter, came to the two... Tomb, and he stooped down and looked and saw the linen clothes lie, yet Jesus was not there. And then came Simon Peter, following him, and went to the sepulcher, and they saw the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head was not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. And they went in with the disciple, and they believed, for they knew not the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went away to their own home. Let me share this with you real quick. When Jesus was on the cross, you have two options today. When Jesus was on the cross, the man in the middle, we had a thief to the left and a thief to the right. One of them was bragging to Jesus as they were all dying. If you're who you say they really say you are, why don't you, his words, this is how lost people think. Why don't you jump down and save yourself and then save us? But newsflash, if Jesus got off the cross we'd all be damned. Jesus had to die that we could live. 
And a lot of people died. But Christ came back to life. See, if he just died, he was a martyr who was murdered. But because he rose from the dead, he alone is the Messiah with the message. If he stayed dead, it was just a great story. I mean, I've been to Elvis's tomb. I've been to Billy Graham's tomb. I've been to George Washington's tomb. Good guys, and they're still dead. But to Billy Graham's credit, he said, one day you're going to read, my former boss, that Billy Graham has died. He said, don't believe it for a minute. I'll be more alive than ever before. I've just changed my address. Amen. So with them on the cross, one of them rejected him. One of them accepted him. In his dying words, he said, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He didn't have time to get baptized. He didn't have time to join the church. And Jesus said, verily I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. So one of them rejected him, one of them accepted him. One died in guilt, the other died in grace. One went to hell and the other went to heaven. What was the difference, the one in the middle? And today you have two options. You can say, no thanks. Or you could say, I'll take them here. If I told you right now, come forward after the sermon, we're going to give every one of you $15 million. Not one of you would say, you know, I think I'll live a little bit and think on that. <laughs> you know, I think I'll like just kind of sow my wild oats and do my thing. Do you know My Way by Frank Sinatra? It sounds good on paper. It's the national anthem of hell. And the record shows, I took the blows, did it my way. Sounds important. Oh, I picked up myself by the bootstraps. I didn't need no help. I'm telling you, you do it your way, you're going to lose. You do it his way, you can't lose. Stick with the one who's stuck on the cross with you. I'm just going to look at this real quick. There is another service after you. Say, today's my day. I had a friend that worked at the Pentagon. He was the chief of chaplains for the Air Force. And he said, Frank, my goal is twofold. Represent God. And number two, he said, I stare at the stars. He said, I serve the sun, but I stare at the serves. He followed three and four-star generals all day at the Pentagon. And he said, when they would eat, he said, if the stars moved, I moved. But if the stars were parked, I gave them space. But when they roll, whether it's grabbing a nuclear football, whether it was to grab a bag to a next Pentagon briefing, or to grab water, the greatest are the servants. And when I see these awesome servants, lost people think they're beneath them. These are the all-stars. Can we give your servants the loudest round of applause? The Bible says the greatest among you is the servant. I, I, the servant. I just preached at a tent revival last week in, in Statesville, North Carolina. I spoke in 15 public schools in one week. And I heard this one story of a guy on the football team, and he was bragging that he's benching 350 in the locker room. And I said, in love, if you're benching 350 in the locker room, but you're too good to say hi to the kid in the classroom, you're not that strong. 
You know, if you can't say hi to the janitor, you're not that big. And I believe when you grasp the bigger the promotion and the bigger the platform, the more low we got to be. Because when he takes you up, you got to get low. Do you know why I shop at Walmart? Because Target's on my back when I live for Jesus. Are you with me? But this was a Hebrew custom among kings that the servants, just like now, would stare at the king while they ate. And if you ask a waiter or waitress worth their salt, Olive Garden to Red Lobster, how do you know when the customer's done? If they're good, they'll say the same thing. From Georgia to Greece, from Los Angeles to London, from Australia to America, to Africa, to Antarctica. If they're good, there's only one answer. We know that they're done is when they take the napkin, wipe their mouth. You've done it for 2,000 years and didn't even know it. You wipe your mouth, ball up the napkin, and toss it on the plate, and that signals to the servants that you're finished. Speaking of finish, if you're on an airplane and you really got to use the bathroom, and you're 30,000 feet, and you got an air marshal next to you, and you see a lavatory at the end of the plane and by the cockpit, if you really have to use the bathroom, are you an American? No, you're Russian. You got to use the bathroom. You got to rush to get there. Are you with me? <laughs> now, once you get in the lavatory, are you an American or a Russian? European. Can I get an amen? <laughs> now, what happens when you're done? Are you American, Russian, or European? You're finished. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Man, these guys look scared out of their mind. <laughs> Where is he going with this? But when Jesus was on that tomb, say with me, there's chaos with the devil, but there's order with the Lord. And they, the reason the women prepared his body, I had the honor to preach one time with Cece Winans, and she sings that song, Alabaster Box. And is, is LaToya here today? Man, you guys got some vocals in this place. They're so good, I've already booked them for my funeral. <laughs> True story. I am dying to hear y'all sing one more time. We may do an encore on the way out. When they prepared his body for burial, and then you got Judas. There's always a Judas in the mix. I don't know who this is worth for, but not everyone in your crowd is in your corner. And the people who act like helpers by day are actually haters at night. And I was writing a book called Betrayal. Even Jesus had a Judas. And if he was getting the hate mail within 12, you start getting a bigger crowd. There's a lot of people pointing at you. And it's not always saying, I love you. I know some preachers that would love to see us fall. I also know some preachers who don't even know the Lord. If you see two people in a canoe, it's the one who's rowing the least is complaining the most. You ever go into a family reunion and the dude is like, man, I hate everything on the menu. There ain't nothing good on here. That joker didn't even, he's the only one that didn't bring a dish. He's like, well, I'm with the FDA. I'm complaining about everything. But when you ain't looking, that guy's taking three doggy bags on the way out the thing. See, when you got skin in the game, you're going to speak life, not death. So they prepared his body 
But there was a thing, the shroud was the napkin that laid over the face of the deceased. And I was told that when Jesus died, there is the tumult shroud that they say that actually because of his blood on his face, when they laid the napkin, which was the shroud, you could actually see the eyeballs, the nose, and the mouth of Jesus on the tower. And here's the thing. When the Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 7, and the napkin, the shroud that was about his head, was not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together, neatly folded by itself. So you ask the waiter or waitress, how do you know if it's done? I know they're done. They'll tape the napkin, wipe their mouth, ball it, throw it on the plate. That signals to the servant that the king is done. One guy's told me years ago, he goes, I got burned out of a big tip. My job is to serve, and that's true. But it's also to stare. I got burned out of a big tip. I thought that they left. It looked like most of it was gone. They were gone for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. But they were in the lobby in the restroom making a business deal. But I now realize if that napkin is folded, if they've been gone an hour, I won't touch it. Because I realize now if the napkin is bold on the plate, it means they're done. But if the napkin is neatly folded, it means I'm coming back. And when Jesus rose on that third day, he didn't just take, there's, have you heard the expression, godliness is, cleanliness is next to godliness? Maybe you're a parent, you walk in, you're a teenager, what the hell happened in here? Like a, a bomb went off. Socks hanging from the fan. Smells like you know what got 13 soda cans piled up, thinking it's a badge of honor. Good God, you need Jesus. <laughs> There's order with Christ. If it's disorder, it's by the devil. If you have to force a business transaction or force a relationship, it's not God. See, when the pigs got demonic and went over the cliff, the devil drives Jesus, the gentle shepherd, leads. So if it's forced, it's fake. But if it's easy, he said, my yoke is light. But here's the Lord. When he got off on that tomb, these women came. So they were at the cross and they're at the tomb first. Thank God for the ladies. But I love Joseph Arimathea, the reason for the book, Caring Greatness. He had the guts to go up Pontius Pilate, the executioner himself, and he begged for the body of Jesus. And he carried him from Golgotha to the garden tomb. The borrowed tomb of Jesus was Joseph Arimathea, all in the book. When my ancestor carried the king of a nation, when my dad's friend carried Elvis king of rock and roll, the Jackson's king of pop, but guys in Delaware at Maranatha... We carry the king of all kings. And the way you walk and the way you talk, you're a billboard, not for Gucci, for God, not for Jordash, but for Jesus, not for Calvin Klein, but Christ the king. And you should live so close to him, you don't need to guess which way you're really living. I'm done. When Jesus got off the tomb, he made it sure because he knew the servants were watching. 
the napkin was still folded. That means Jesus is not finished. He's coming back. Arnold Schwarzenegger was not the first to say, I'll be back. Jesus said it first, and he keeps his promises. My son, when he speaks, I need to listen. And he said, Daddy, it's been a long time. Will you close with this story in Delaware for Easter? And I'm going to do my best in five minutes. There was a story, true story. I've been told it was 1634, I believe, is when a man named Guillotine made the guillotine. This is prophetic. This wasn't even in my notes. The King James was written in the 1611. The guillotine was made in 1634. The Bible says in Revelations that those who do not denounce Christ, there will be some Christians for not taking the mark of the beast who will be beheaded. And the irony is the Bible talked about a contraption that wasn't even built yet. The Bible is truth. You can take it to the bank. And there was a story of a king. I remember when John Kennedy was a little boy at the Oval Office, one of my favorite pictures was a picture some of you will remember of little John John would be playing out of the Oval Office door. And even though his father Kennedy had great pain in his back, he would stop a cabinet meeting and his son was the apple of his eye. Having worked in a few White Houses myself, it drives me nuts that if you don't like the parents, I was always told the kids are off limits. We live in a culture today that not only make fun of parents, we destroy the kids on social media. If when Jesus was before the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and everyone else had rocks, I find it interesting that the only one who could have thrown a rock and didn't was the rock of all ages. The Savior didn't sling a stone, and the Prince of Peace didn't even pluck a pebble. And I don't think we should throw stones on Facebook, because anyone can throw rocks. It takes Christianity to get on your knees and pray to the rock for even someone who's polar opposite of you. But this king had a son, and he had access to the whole place, the palace, the penthouse. But what happened was, as the boy got a little bit older, he began to come around a little bit less. And his dad was the most revered man in the land. And the theme was, eye for an eye, two for a tooth. And it is a fact, if you ever saw someone in the day who was missing their right hand, nine times out of ten, it wasn't a deformity. They were a thief, and you would get your hand chopped off, and it would embarrass you till the day you died. When they said it is better to basically look at your Lord than even inappropriate things, they would pluck your eyes out. It would be better to go to heaven missing an eye and you learn from your mistake than split hell wide open with 20-20 vision. There's a song we sang as a kid, be careful little eyes, what you see. Because what you see, you want to achieve. And the boy would come around less. He's now a teenager. He's 16, pushing 17. 
And he did the unthinkable. Where he had carte blanche, he now over the years got a little cocky. See, the problem with sin, it will take you further than you want to go, hold you longer than you want to stay, and it always costs you more than you're willing to pay. See, sin, you can pick your sin, but you don't get to pick the consequences. See, sin will fascinate you before it assassinates you. And he did the unthinkable, and the kid had had it all, is now losing it all. He murdered a man in the 1600s. It's throughout the land, and the day was guillotine. He went from the penthouse to the palace. He is now in the prison in the basement. And it spread throughout the land. The most respected man, the king, now has a son that did the unthinkable. And the boy has to die. Some have said, well, you know, blood's thicker than water and the rules apply to us commoners. But maybe with the king, who could blame him? Maybe the kid gets all free. And with each day, as the execution was looming, the people began to talk more. Gossip travels faster than the gospel. If we would spread the gospel more than our gossip, a lot of people would be saved. When we share gossip, we honor the devil. When we share the gospel, we honor the Christ. You can't spread gossip and gospel simultaneously so why don't we lift him up and let God be the judge? The night before the execution, the king couldn't sleep. The boy tossed and tailed in his four-foot-by-five-foot cell. The kid who had it all is now at the basement, and he's a wreck. You know, it's always intrigued me. What was their last meal? Well, they had lasagna. They had French toast. They had salad with ranch. A sweet tea and large Dr. Pepper. I'm like, God, who could eat? And that next morning, the execution was at 6 o'clock. And at 5.58, there were two guards that began to come down the cobblestone street in the bottom of the dungeon. It was damp. It was dark. And the only source of light was the torches flickering in the basement of the palace. And as they got closer, with tears rolling down his face, but what was even more interesting, when they stood toe-to-toe, the kid noticed tears on the guard's face. This is a fact. When President John F. Kennedy died, true story, it wasn't the Kennedys who all carried the casket. Half of them were U.S. Secret Service agents. Those closest to you are the ones who get to put you down. If you're ever invited to be a pallbearer, don't turn it down. In my opinion, it's the highest honor in life. Because out of 7 billion people, you must have knew them pretty good if you're carrying them in death. It was a Shelton that carried Lincoln. It was my dad's roommate with the FBI that carried Elvis. It was the Jackson brothers that did carry MJ. But it was Joseph Arimathea, one of the few men who stood up when women were the only ones at the scene. And love, men, don't be missing in action in these days. We need you more than ever. I'm going to do something I've never done. Ladies, can we encourage the men? Because they're not wannabes, they're winners. Can you give the men a loud round of applause as I land the plane? 
I'm going to ask if there's somebody that would like to play something on the keyboard. We're going to stop here. Stay with me. The reason that they were weeping, because they literally saw the boy grow before their eyes. They were family. And then when they stuck the key into the door, they said the unthinkable. You're free to go. And the son said, no, 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 no. I've done some crazy things. I killed a man, but I never lied. I have dishonored my father. I dishonored my last name. I had it all. There's a rule, an eye for an eye, and the execution says that by murder, it's death. And somebody has to die, and there will be an execution at 6 this morning. And the one guard, true story, began to shake so much, and they said, we tried to stop him. And they said, what do you mean? And they said, well, your father, the king, got up this morning at 2 o'clock, and true story, your daddy took off his crown. He took off his royal robe and neatly folded it on the bed took off his gold rings and 1600s that would even resemble Super Bowl rocks. And then he said, there will be an execution. And the guards tried to talk him out of it. The most revered, respected man, the king, true story, stuck his head through the guillotine. And said, do you have any dying words? (laughs) Number one, I love him. Number two, I forgive him. (laughs) And number three, tell us, Ty, what Christ said on the cross, paid in full. When my wife and I first got married, we were at Olive Garden. (laughs) And two of my best friends in the world is Dan Dove and his brother Tom. We were newlyweds, and I saw Mr. Dove now in heaven and waved. And they left, and when I went to get my bill, the waitress said that it's been paid in full. And I said, excuse me. And they said, the couple that you waved to anonymously picked up the tab. I've never forgot it. And it's one thing to get a free lunch. It's another thing to get a free life. It's one thing to get an out-of-jail card. It's another thing to get out-of-hell card. And the reason I left the White House, true story, in Capitol Hill... Because who is in the Oval Office ain't going to change the world. But who's occupying your heart is going to make the difference between hell or hell. And I felt like God said, quote, Frankie, you can reach more people out of Washington than in it. And on July 27, 2007, I left retirement, 401k and health insurance. And I left by faith to never get a salary or retirement from the government again. To work 20 years for Congress and walk away with never getting the retirement was faith. And I believe someone's going to get saved today. And if I left Capitol Hill 15 years ago just for you, it'd be worth it. Because Jesus left heaven just 
for you. Would you stand up to your feet? And right now, just say, thank you, Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today, there's no greater day than today to get saved. Say, today's my day. There's no greater day than to get saved on Easter Sunday. If I told you to come to religion, man, it'd be depressing. It's dead. Come to Jesus. It's alive. He's alive. I don't have a religion. I got a relationship. With heads bowed and eyes closed, draw an imaginary circle around yourself. If you know it's been good to be in the house of the Lord, say amen. If you're here today and you know the Lord, just say amen. If you're here today and you know America needs Jesus, say amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you know you're going to heaven, when I count to three, you know there was a time you truly repented, you asked Jesus to save your soul, your name's in the book of life. If you don't have a doubt, God bless you, but do not raise your hand. But if you know you're going to heaven, when I count to three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand if you know. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Thank you for those who are not honest. Question number two, Frank, I'm not sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. I want to know. That tomb is empty. The reason some of us heart is empty is because it's not full of Jesus. But once you get full of Jesus, you're no longer empty. There's a hole in your heart like a vacuum that only God can fill. And I want you to come to Christ today. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to encourage you to share this out loud or just whisper it. Maybe you're saved and you want to rededicate it. Say it with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm a sinner. Jesus is the Savior. I heard as a kid that Jesus died for the world. I realized today in Dover, Delaware, if it was just me, Jesus would have died for me. Take my dark sins, mix them with your red blood. Make me like new fallen snow. I want to repent from my sin. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I can't save myself. But Jesus died on the cross for me. They put him in a borrowed tomb. And he's alive today. You died for me. I want to live for you. Put my name in the reservation of the hotel called heaven. And when I die, I'm trusting you today to save my soul, to be my Lord and Savior. And you have a house for me. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. In Jesus' name, with no one looking, if you prayed that prayer a minute, I'm only going to ask you to raise your hand at the count of three. If you prayed the prayer a minute, raise your hand. One, two, three. All over the auditorium. Keep them high, keep them high, keep them high. Real high. No one's looking. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five. 26 that I can see. The angels rejoice over one. Can we give Jesus a loud round of applause? Amen.